0: Chapter Twenty of the Life and Adventures of Martin Chuzzlewit. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Is a chapter of love. Pecksniff said Jonas, taking off his hat to see that the black crape band was all right, and finding that it was, putting it on again complacently. What do you mean to give your daughters when they marry? My dear Mister Jonas, cried the affectionate parent with an ingenuous smile. What a very singular inquiry! Now don't you mind whether it's a singular inquiry or a plural one," retorted Jonas, eyeing Mr. Pecksniff with no great favour. But answer it, or let it alone, one or the other. "'Hm! Mm, the question, my dear friend,' said Mr. Pecksniff, laying his hand tenderly upon his kinsman's knee, is involved with many considerations. What would I give them, eh?' "'Ah! What would you give them?' repeated Jonas why that said mr pecksniff would naturally depend in a great measure upon the kind of husbands they might choose my dear young friend mr jonas was evidently disconcerted and at a loss how to proceed it was a good answer it seemed a deep one but such is the wisdom of simplicity my standard for the merits i would require in a son-in-law said mr pecksniff after a short silence is a high one forgive me my dear mr jonas he added greatly moved if i say that you have spoiled me and made it a fanciful one an imaginative one a prismatically tinged one if i may be permitted to call it so what do you mean by that growled jonas looking at him with increased disfavour indeed my dear friend said mr pecksniff you may well inquire the heart is not always a royal mint with patent machinery to work its metal into current coin. Sometimes it throws out in strange forms, not easily recognized as coin at all. But it is sterling gold. It has at least that merit. It is sterling gold. Is it?" grumbled Jonas, with a doubtful shake of the head. Aye, said Mr. Pecksniff, warming with his subject, it is. To be plain with you, Mr. Jonas, if I could find two such son-in-laws as you will one day make to some deserving man, capable of appreciating a nature such as yours, I would, forgetful of myself, bestow upon my daughters portions reaching to the very utmost of my means." This was strong language, and it was earnestly delivered. But who can wonder that such a man as Mr. Pecksniff, after all he had seen and heard of Mr. Jonas, should be strong and earnest upon such a theme? a theme that touched even the worldly lips of undertakers with a honey of eloquence mr jonas was silent and looked thoughtfully at the landscape for they were seated on the outside of the coach at the back and were travelling down into the country he accompanied mr pecksniff home for a few days change of air and scene after his recent trials well he said at last with captivating bluntness suppose you've got one such son-in-law as me what then Mr. Pecksniff regarded him at first with inexpressible surprise, then gradually, breaking into a sort of dejected vivacity, said, "'Then well I know whose husband he would be.' "'Whose?' asked Jonas dryly. "'My eldest girl's, Mr. Jonas,' replied Pecksniff, with moistening eyes. "'My dear cherries, my staff, my scrip, my treasure, Mr. Jonas. A hard struggle, but it is the nature of things I must one day part with her to a husband.' I know it, my dear friend. I am prepared for it." cod hey, you have been prepared for that a pretty long time, I should think,' said Jonas. "'Many have sought to bear her from me,' said Mr. Pecksniff. "'All have failed. I never will give my hand, papa—those were her words—unless my heart is won. She has not been quite so happy as she used to be of late. I don't know why.' Again Mr. Jonas looked at the landscape, then at the coachman then at the luggage on the roof, finally at Mr. Pecksniff. Uh, "'Suppose you'll have to part with the other one some of these days?' he observed, as he caught that gentleman's eye. "'Probably,' said the parent. "'Years will tame down the wildness of my foolish bird, and then it will be caged. Cherry, Mr. Jonas, cherry!' "'Oh, ah!' interrupted Jonas. "'Years have made her all right enough. Nobody doubts that. But you haven't answered what I ask you.' "'Of course you're not obliged to do it, you know, if you don't like. You're the best judge.' There was a warning sulkiness in the manner of this speech, which admonished Mr. Pecksniff that his dear friend was not to be trifled with or fenced off, and that he must either return a straightforward reply to his question, or plainly give him to understand that he declined to enlighten him upon the subject to which it referred. Mindful of the dilemma of the caution old Antony had given him almost with his last breath, he resolved to speak to the point and so told Mr. Jonas, enlarging upon the communication as proof of his great attachment and confidence, that in the case he had put, to wit, in the event of such a man as he proposing for his daughter's hand, he would endow her with a fortune of four thousand pounds. "'I should sadly pinch and cramp myself to do so,' was his fatherly remark. "'But that would be my duty, and my conscience would reward me. For myself, my conscience is my bank.' I have a trifle invested there, a mere trifle, Mr. Jonas, but I prize it as a store of great value, I assure you." The good man's enemies would have divided upon this question into two parties. One would have asserted without scruple that if Mr. Pecksniff's conscience were his bank, and he kept a running account there, he must have overdrawn it beyond all mortal means of computation. The other would have contended that it was a mere fictitious form, a perfectly blank book, or one in which entries were only made with a peculiar kind of invisible ink to become legible at some indefinite time, and that he never troubled it at all. It would sadly pinch and cramp me, my dear friend, repeated Mr. Pecksniff, but providence, perhaps I may be permitted to say a special providence, has blessed my endeavours, and I could guarantee to make the sacrifice. A question of philosophy arises here, whether Mr. Pecksniff had or had not a good reason to say that he was specially patronised and encouraged in his undertakings. All his life long he had been walking up and down the narrow ways and by-places with a hook in one hand and a crook in the other, scraping all sorts of valuable odds and ends into his pouch. Now there being a special providence in the fall of a sparrow, it follows so Mr. Pecksniff and only such admirable men would have reasoned, that there must also be a special providence in the alighting of the stone or stick or other substance which is aimed at the sparrow, and Mr. Pecksniff's hook or crook, having invariably knocked the sparrow on the head and brought him down, that gentleman may have been led to consider himself as specially licensed to bag sparrows, and as being specially seized and possessed of all the birds he had got together. That many undertakings, national as well as individual, but especially the former, are held to be specially brought to a glorious and successful issue which could never be so regarded on any other process of reasoning, must be clear to all men. Therefore the precedents would seem to show that Mr. Pecksniff had, as things go, good argument for what he said, and might be permitted to say it, and did not say it presumptuously, vainly or arrogantly but in a spirit of high faith and great wisdom mr jonas not being much accustomed to perplex his mind with the theories of this nature expressed no opinion on the subject nor did he receive his companion's announcement with one solitary syllable good bad or indifferent he preserved this taciturnity for a quarter of an hour at least and during the whole of that time appeared to be steadily engaged in subjecting some given amount to the operation of every known rule in figures, adding to it, taking from it, multiplying it, reducing it by long and short division, working it by the rule of three direct and inverse, exchange or barter, practice simple interest, compound interest, and other means of arithmetical calculation. The result of these labours appeared to be satisfactory, for when he did break silence, it was as one who had arrived at some specific result and freed himself from a state of distressing uncertainty come old pecksniff such was his jocose address as he slapped that gentleman on the back at the end of the stage let's have something with all my heart said mr pecksniff let's treat the driver cried jonas if you think it won't hurt the man or render him discontented with his station certainly faltered mr pecksniff jonas only laughed at this and getting down from the coach-top with great alacrity cut a cumbersome kind of caper in the road, after which he went into the public-house, and there ordered spirituous drink to such an extent that Mr. Pecksniff had some doubts of his perfect sanity, until Jonas set them quite at rest by saying, when the coach could wait no longer, "'I've been standing treat for a whole week and more, and letting you have all the delicacies of the season. You shall pay for this, Pecksniff.' It was not a joke either, as Mr. Pecksniff at first supposed for he went off to the coach without further ceremony, and left his respected victim to settle the bill. But Mr. Pecksniff was a man of meek endurance, and Mr. Jonas was his friend. Moreover, his regard for that gentleman was founded, as we know, on pure esteem, and a knowledge of the excellence of his character. He came out from the tavern with a smiling face, and even went so far as to repeat the performance on a less expensive scale at the next alehouse. There was a certain wildness in the spirits of Mr. Jonas, not usually a part of his character, which was far from being subdued by these means, and for the rest of the journey he was so very buoyant, it may be said boisterous, that Mr. Pecksniff had some difficulty in keeping pace with him. Oh dear no! Mr. Pecksniff had proposed in London to give the girls a surprise, and had said he wouldn't write a word to prepare them on any account, in order that me and Mr. Jonas might take them unawares and just see what they were doing when they thought their dear papa was miles and miles away. As a consequence of this playful device, there was nobody to meet them at the finger-post. But that was of small consequence, for they had come down by the day-coach, and Mr. Pecksniff had only a carpet-bag, while Mr. Jonas had only a portmanteau. They took the portmanteau between them, put the bag upon it, and walked off up the lane without delay. Mr. Pecksniff, already going on tiptoe as if, without this precaution, his fond children, being then at a distance of a couple of miles or so, would have some filial sense of his approach. It was a lovely evening in the springtime of the year, and in the soft stillness of the twilight all nature was very calm and beautiful. The day had been fine and warm, but at the coming of night the air grew cool, and in the mellowing distance smoke was rising gently from the cottage chimneys. There were a thousand pleasant scenes diffused around. From young leaves and fresh buds, the cuckoo had been singing all day long, and was but just now hushed. The smell of earth newly upturned, first breath of hope to the first laborer after his garden withered, was fragrant in the evening breeze. It was a time when most men cherish good resolves and sorrow for the wasted past, when most men, looking on the shadows as they gather, think of that evening which must close on all, and that tomorrow which has none beyond. "'Precious doll,' said Mr. Jonas, looking about, "'it's enough to make a man go melancholy mad.' "'We shall have lights and a fire soon,' observed Mr. Pecksniff. "'We shall need them at the time we get there,' said Jonas. "'What the devil don't you talk? What are you thinking of?' "'To tell you the truth, Mr. Jonas,' said Pecksniff, with great solemnity, "'my mind was running at that moment on our late dear friend, your departed father.' Mr. Jonas immediately let his burden fall, and said, threatening him with his hand, drop that pecksniff mr pecksniff not exactly known whether allusion was made to the subject or the portman too, stared at his friend in unaffected surprise drop it i say cried jonas fiercely do you hear drop it now and for ever you had better i'll give you notice it was quite a mistake urged mr pecksniff very much dismayed. though i admit it was foolish i might have known it was a tender string don't talk to me about tender strings said jonas wiping his forehead with the cuff of his coat i'm not going to be crowed over by you because i don't like dead company mr pecksniff had got out the words crowed over mr jonas when that young man with a dark expression on his countenance cut him short once more mind he said i won't have it i advise you not to revive the subject neither to me nor anybody else you can take a hint if you choose as well as another man "'There's enough said about it. Come along.' Taking up his part of the load again, and when he had said these words, he hurried on so fast that Mr. Pecksniff, at the other end of the portmanteau, found himself dragged forward in a very inconvenient and ungraceful manner, to the great detriment of what is called by fancy gentlemen the bark upon his shins, which were most unmercifully bumped against the hard leather and the iron buckles. In the course of a few minutes, however, Mr. Jonas relaxed his speed. And suffered his companion to come up with him, and to bring the portmanteau into a tolerably straight position. It was pretty clear that he regretted his late outbreak, and that he mistrusted its effect on Mr. Pecksniff, for as often as that gentleman glanced towards Mr. Jonas, he found Mr. Jonas glancing at him, which was a new source of embarrassment. It was but short-lived one, though, for Mr. Jonas soon began to whistle, whereupon Mr. Pecksniff, taking his cue from his friend, began to hum a tune melodiously. "'Pretty near there, ain't we?' said Jonas, when this had lasted some time. "'Close, my dear friend,' said Mr. Pecksniff. "'What they be doing, do you suppose?' asked Jonas. "'Impossible to say,' cried Mr. Pecksniff. "'Giddy truants! They may be away from home, perhaps. I was going (laughs) to—I was going to propose,' said Mr. Pecksniff, that we should enter by the back way, and come upon them like a clap of thunder, Mr. Jonas.' It might not have been easy to decide in respect of which of their manifold properties, Jonas, Mr. Pecksniff, the carpet-bag, and the portmanteau, could be likened to a clap of thunder, but Mr. Jonas, giving his assent to this proposal, they stole round into the back-yard, and softly advanced towards the kitchen window, through which the mingled light of fire and candle shone upon the darkening night. Truly Mr. Pecksniff is blessed in his children, in one of them at any rate. The prudent cherry staff and scrip and treasure of her doting father there she sits at little table white as driven snow before the kitchen fire making up accounts see the neat maiden as with pen in hand and calculating look addressed towards the ceiling and a bunch of keys within a little basket at her side she checks the housekeeping expenditure from flat-iron dish-cover and warming-pan from pot and kettle face of brass footman and black-leaded stove. Bright glances of approbation wink and glow upon her. The very onions dangling from the beam mantle and shine like cherub's cheeks. Something of the influence of those vegetables sinks into Mr. Pecksniff's nature. He weeps. It is but for a moment, and he hides it from the observation of his friend, very carefully, by a somewhat elaborate use of his pocket-handkerchief. In fact, for he would not have his weakness known. Pleasant," he murmured. "Pleasant to her father's feelings, my dear girl. Shall we let her know we are here, Mister Jonas? Why, oh, I don't suppose you mean to spend the evening in the stable or the coach house?" He returned. "That indeed is not such hospitality as I would show you, my friend," cried Mister Pecksniff, pressing his hand. And then he took a long breath and, tapping at the window, shouted with stentorian blandness, "Bo!" Cherry dropped her pen and screamed. But innocence is ever bold, or should be as they opened the door the valiant girl exclaimed in a firm voice and with a presence of mind which even in that trying moment did not desert her who are you what do you want speak or i will call my pa mr pecksniff held out his arms she knew him instantly and rushed into his fond embrace it was thoughtless of us mr jonas it was very thoughtless said pecksniff smoothing his daughter's hair my darling do you see that i am not alone Not she. She had seen nothing but her father until now. She saw Mr. Jonas now, though, and blushed, and hung her head down as she gave him welcome. But where was Mary? Mr. Pecksniff didn't ask the question in reproach, but in a vein of mildness touched with a gentle sorrow. She was upstairs reading on the parlour-couch. Ah, domestic details had no charms for her. "'But call her down,' said Mr. Pecksniff, with a placid resignation call her down my love she was called and came all flushed and tumbled from reposing on the sofa but none the worse for that no not at all rather the better if anything oh my goodness me cried the arch-girl turning to her cousin when she had kissed her father on both cheeks and in her frolicsome nature had bestowed a supernumerary salute upon the tip of his nose you here fright well i'm very thankful that you won't trouble me much "'What, you're as lively as ever, are you?' said Jonas. "'Oh, you're a wicked one!' "'There, go along,' retorted Merry, pushing him away. "'I'm sure I don't know what I shall ever do if I have to see much of you. Go along, for gracious sake!' Mr. Pecksniff, striking in here with a request that Mr. Jonas would immediately walk upstairs, he so far complied with the young lady's adjuration as to go at once, but though he had set the fair cherry on his arm, he could not help looking back at her sister and exchanging some further dialogue of the same bantering description, as they all four ascended into the parlour, where, for the young ladies, happened, by good fortune, to be a little later than usual that night, the tea-board was at that moment being set out. Mr. Pinch was not at home, so they had it all to themselves, and were very snug and talkative, Jonas sitting between the two sisters, and displaying his gallantry in that engaging manner which was peculiar to him. It was a hard thing, Mr. Pecksniff said, when tea was done and cleared away, to leave so pleasant a little party, but having some important papers to examine in his own apartment, he must beg them to excuse him for half an hour. With this apology he withdrew, singing a careless strain as he went. He had not been gone five minutes, when Merry, who had been sitting in the window, apart from Jonas and her sister, burst into a half-smothered laugh and skipped towards the door. "'Hullo!' cried Jonas. "'Don't go!' "'Oh, I dare say,' rejoined Merry, looking back. "'You are very anxious I should stay, Fright, ain't you?' "'Yes, I am,' said Jonas. "'Pon my word, I am. I want to speak to you.' But as she left the room, notwithstanding, he ran out after her and brought her back, after a short struggle in the passage, which scandalised Miss Cherry very much. "'Pon my word, Merry,' urged that young lady, "'I wonder at you. There are bounds even to the absurdity, my dear.' Thank you, my sweet," said Merry, pursing up her rosy lips, much obliged to it for its advice. Oh, do leave me alone, you monster, do. This entreaty was wrung for her by a new proceeding on the part of Mr. Jonas, who pulled her down, all breathless as she was, into a seat beside him on the sofa, having at the same time Miss Cherry on the other side. Now," said Jonas, clasping the waist of each, I have got both arms full, haven't I? "'One of them will be black and blue tomorrow if you don't let me go,' cried the playful Mary. "'Ah, I don't mind your pinching,' grinned Jonas. "'A bit!' him for me, Cherry, pray,' said Mercy. "'I never did hate anybody so much as I hate this creature, I declare.' "'No, no, don't say that,' urged Jonas. "'And don't pinch either, because I want to be serious. I say, cousin Charity.' "'Well, what?' she answered sharply. "'I want to have some sober talk,' said Jonas i want to prevent any mistakes you know and to put everything upon a pleasant understanding that's desirable and proper ain't it neither of the sisters spoke a word mr jonas paused and cleared his throat which was very dry shall not believe what i am going to say will she cousin said jonas timidly squeezing miss charity really mr jonas i don't know until i hear what it is it's quite impossible why well, you see said jonas her way always being to make a game of people I know she'll laugh, or pretend to. I know that beforehand. But you can tell her I'm in earnest, cousin, can't you? You'll confess, you know, won't you? You'll be honourable, I'm sure," he added persuasively. No answer. His throat seemed to grow hotter and hotter, and to be more and more difficult of control. "'You see, cousin Charity,' said Jonas, "'nobody but you can tell her what pains I took to get into her company when you were both at the boarding-house in the city, because nobody's so well aware of it, you know. Nobody else can tell her how hard I tried to get to know you better, in order that I might get to know her without seeming to wish it. Can they? I always asked you about her, and said where had she gone, and when would she come, and how lively she was, and all that, didn't I, cousin? I know you'll tell her so, if you haven't told her so already. And—and I dare say you have, because I'm sure you're honourable, ain't you? Still not a word. The right arm of Mr. Jonas—the elder sister sat upon his right— may have been sensible of some tumultuous throbbing which was not within itself but nothing else surprised him that his words had had the least effect even if you kept it to yourself and haven't told her resumed jonas it don't much matter because you'll bear honest witness now won't you we've been very good friends from the first haven't we and of course we shall be quite friends in the future and so i don't mind speaking before you a bit cousin mercy you've heard what i've been saying she'll confirm it every word she must Will you have me for your husband, eh?" As he released his hold of charity to put this question with better effect, she started up and hurried away to her own room, marking her progress as she went by such a train of passionate and incoherent sound as nothing but a slighted woman in her anger could produce. "'Let me go away, let me go after her,' said Merry, pushing him off and giving him, to tell the truth, more than one sounding slap upon his outstretched face not till you say yes you haven't told me will you have me for your husband no i won't i can't bear the sight of you i've told you so a hundred times you're a fright Besides, i always thought you liked my sister best we all thought so that wasn't my fault said jonas yes it was you know it was any trick is fair in love said jonas she may have thought i liked her best but you didn't i did no you didn't you never could have thought i liked her best when you were by there's no accounting for taste said merry at least i didn't mean to say that i don't know what i mean let me go to her say yes and then i will if i ever brought myself to say so it should only be that i might hate and tease you all my life that's as good cried jonas as saying it right out it's a bargain cousin we're a pair if ever there was one this gallant speech was succeeded by a confused noise of kissing and slapping and then the fair but much dishevelled merry broke away and followed in the footsteps of her sister now whether mr pecksniff had been listening which in one of his character appears impossible or divined almost by inspiration what the matter was which in a man of his sagacity is far more probable or happened by sheer good fortune to find himself in exactly the right place at precisely the right time which under the special guardianship in which he lived might very reasonably happen It is quite certain that at the moment when the sisters came together in their own room he appeared at the chamber door and a marvellous contrast it was they so heated noisy and vehement he so calm and self-possessed so cool and full of peace that not a hair upon his head was stirred children said mr pecksniff spreading out his hands in wonder but not before he had shut the door and set his back against it girls daughters what is this the wretch the apostate the false mean odious villain has before my very face proposed to mercy was his eldest daughter's answer who has proposed to mercy asked mr pecksniff he has that thing jonas downstairs jonas proposed to mercy said mr pecksniff ay ay indeed have you nothing else to say cried charity am i to be driven mad papa he has proposed to mercy not to me Oh, fie, for shame!" said Mr. Pecksniff, gravely. Oh, for shame! Can the triumph of a sister move you to this terrible display, my child? Oh, really, this is very sad. I am sorry. I am surprised and hurt to see you so. Mercy, my girl! Bless you! See to her! Ah! Envy! Envy! What a passion you are!" Uttering this apostrophe in a tone full of grief and lamentation, Mr. Pecksniff left the room, taking care to shut the door behind him and walked downstairs into the parlour there he found his intended son-in-law whom he seized by both hands jonas cried mr pecksniff jonas the dearest wish of my heart is now fulfilled very well i'm glad to hear it said jonas that'll do i say as it ain't the one you're so fond of you must come down with another thousand pecksniff you must make it up five it's worth that to keep your treasure to yourself you know you get off very cheap that way, in having a sacrifice to make. The grin with which he accompanied this set off his other attractions to such unspeakable advantage that even Mr. Pecksniff lost his presence of mind for a moment, and looked at the young man as if he were quite stupefied with wonder and admiration. But he quickly regained his composure, and was in the very act of changing the subject, when a hasty step was heard without, and Tom Pinch, in a state of great excitement, came darting into the room. On seeing a stranger there, apparently engaged with Mr. Pecksniff in private conversation, Tom was very much abashed, though he still looked as if he had something of great importance to communicate, which would be a sufficient apology for his intrusion. "'Mr. Pinch,' said Pecksniff, "'this is hardly decent. You will excuse my saying that I think your conduct scarcely decent, Mr. Pinch.' "'I beg your pardon, sir,' replied Tom, for not knocking at the door rather beg this gentleman's pardon mr pinch said pecksniff i know you he does not my young man mr jonas the son-in-law that was to be gave him a slight nod not actively disdainful or contemptuous only passively for he was in a good humour could i speak a word with you sir if you please said tom it's rather pressing it should be very pressing to justify this strange behaviour mr pinch returned his master excuse me for one moment my dear friend now sir what is the reason of this rough intrusion i'm very sorry sir i'm sure said tom standing cap in hand before his patron in the passage and i know it must have a very rude appearance it has a very rude appearance mr pinch yes i feel that sir but the truth is i was so surprised to see them and knew that you would be too that i ran home very fast indeed and really hadn't enough command over myself to know what i was doing very well I was in the church just now, sir, touching the organ for my own amusement, when I happened to look round, and saw a gentleman and a lady standing in the aisle listening. They seemed to be strangers, sir, as well as I could make out in the dusk, and I thought I didn't know them. So presently I left off and said, would they walk up to the organ-loft, or take a seat? No, they said, they wouldn't do that, but thank me for the music they had heard. In fact, observed Tom, blushing, they said, delicious music, at least she did and I am sure that it was a greater pleasure and honour to me than any compliment I could have had. I—I beg your pardon, sir." He was all in a tremble, and dropped his hat for the second time. But I'm—I'm rather flurried, and I fear I've wandered from the point. "'You will come back to it, Thomas,' said Mr. Pecksniff, with an icy look. "'I shall feel obliged.' "'Yes, sir,' returned Tom. "'Certainly. They had a posting-carriage at the porch, sir, and had stopped to hear the organ, they said. And then they said she said i mean i believe you live with mr pecksniff sir i said that i had the honour and took the liberty sir added tom raising his eyes to his benefactor's face of saying as i always will and must with your permission that i was under great obligations to you and could never express my sense of them sufficiently that said mr pecksniff was very very wrong take your time mr pinch thank you sir cried tom more that they asked me, she asked. I mean, wasn't there a bridal road to Mister Pecksniff's house? Mister Pecksniff suddenly became full of interest. Without going by the dragon, when I said there was and said how happy I should be to show it to them, they sent the carriage on by road and came with me across the meadows. I left them at the turnstile to run forward and tell you they were coming. Then they'll be here, sir, in in less than a minute's time, I should say. Added Tom, fetching his breath with difficulty now who said mr pecksniff pondering who may these people be bless my soul sir cried tom i meant to mention that at first i thought i had i knew them her i mean directly the gentleman who was ill at the dragon sir last winter and the young lady who attended him tom's teeth chattered in his head and he positively staggered with amazement at witnessing the extraordinary effect produced on mr pecksniff by these simple words the dread of losing the old man's favour almost as soon as they were reconciled, through the mere fact of having Jonas in the house, the impossibility of dismissing Jonas, or shutting him up, or tying him hand and foot, and putting him in the coal-cellar, without offending him beyond recall, the horrible discordance prevailing in the establishment, and the impossibility of reducing it to a decent harmony with charity and loud hysterics, mercy in the utmost disorder, Jonas in the parlour, and Martin Chuzzlewit and his young charge upon the very doorsteps the total hopelessness of being able to disguise or feasibly explain this state of rampant confusion the sudden accumulation over his devoted head of every complicated perplexity and entanglement for his extrication from which he had trusted to time good fortune chance and his own plotting so filled the entrapped architect with dismay that if tom could have been a gorgon staring at mr pecksniff and Mr. Pecksniff could have been a gorgon staring at Tom, they could not have horrified each other half so much as in their own bewildered persons. "'Dear, dear,' cried Tom, "'what have I done? I hoped it would be a pleasant surprise, sir. I thought you would like to know.' But at that moment a loud knocking was heard at the hall door. End of chapter 20